0: Today we have a very uh, interesting topic to talk about. A good friend of mine is back to talk conspiracy theories in the laws. So, hey, Michael uh, Michael Thompson is the general counsel for the Church of the Nazarene, former prosecutor and a good friend. So, Michael, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Joel. Good to be with you.
0: Now, you sent me an email uh, a while back. And by the way, Michael, when you do send me emails, I love it. I mean, I, I kind of flag your emails, and I, I do a search on <laughs> my email for Michael Thompson so I can find all the emails you send me because they are hilarious. And one email you sent me last week or a couple weeks ago was about some judge who got a proposed order from a lawyer and marked it all up, and apparently the lawyer even got the judge's name wrong. It was hilarious. We'll talk about that in a future uh, podcast. But one that really got my attention is is you send me an email with this in the body of the email. Not sure if you have heard of the 13th conspiracy theory that a missing constitutional amendment stripped citizenship away from all attorneys. And I got to tell you, since I'm an attorney, that's a great way to get someone's attention. And so, uh, <laughs> hey, welcome to today's podcast. So, Michael, now tell me, uh, uh, you, like the, you, you do a blog called Commonplace Fun Facts, right? Yes. What, what caused you to come up with that kind of a, of a, of a blog? Well, just explain a little, because I find it a fascinating blog. The things you find to write about, I have no <laughs> idea where you got this information. But um, uh, yeah, tell me, what is the, the idea behind this commonplace fun facts?
1: Well, it's something I started back in twenty fourteen along with my four boys. And it's okay. basically just a way for us to be able to, to collect and share interesting information we find. We're we're all very curious. We're all big bookworms and um and we find interesting things that um that at least keep us interested right. and, and thought that perhaps there would be others who would be interested in it as well. So I started writing this. Um Commonplace fun facts. Um, much to my surprise, I find that there's uh, all kinds of people all around the world who seem to find the same sort of things <laughs> interesting that we do.
0: Now, I will tell you. At the same time, you sent me that that link, and I, I clicked on it. I, I saw another link while I was in this process. True story. And this link said nineteen strange and unusual facts about Benjamin Franklin, and so I, I clicked on it. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm looking at uh, unusual facts and, and interesting anecdotes and stories, so I clicked on it, and I learned that Benjamin Franklin, too, loved to write about commonplace fun facts. Are you aware that Benjamin Franklin and you are one of kindred spirits?
1: Well, it doesn't surprise me that uh, that he kept a commonplace book. Okay. Uh, the the whole um, the whole reason I got this title it was from uh, when I was reading a Sherlock Holmes story uh, The Adventures of the, Inge- the Adventure of the Engineer's Thumb okay. and uh, Doctor Watson said something about uh, Sherlock Holmes pulling down from the shelf one of his ponderous commonplace books. And I thought, well, that's weird because I always thought commonplace that meant ordinary and right, boring, right. which is not how I picture Sherlock Holmes. So I I went and I looked it up, and I found that a commonplace book was basically a, it was a common practice. It was a way of, it was basically a scrapbook where people would would keep little bits and pieces of things that they found or, um, interesting, yeah. things that they might want to refer to again. In the future, so that's what inspired that name. So I'm I'm not surprised, but I didn't know that that well, uh, Benjamin Franklin had a common place
0: book. Well, I was a sucker, and I clicked on it. And the very first fun fact, if you will, and I expect you to write about this soon because I, I want to get your take on this. If if this was an interest to Benjamin Franklin, then I think you got to dig in deeper. But this is uh, what he did. He wrote an essay while an ambassador to France. He wrote it to the Royal Academy there in France. It was about a particularly pressing issue to Benjamin Franklin. Uh, farting and in case you're, you're saying you're right, yes, the passing of gas, that's what he wrote about in an official memo to the Royal Academy of France, and this is what he said, it is universally well known that in digesting our common food there is created or produced in the bowels of human creatures a great great quantity of wind, that the permitting of this air to escape and mix with the atmosphere is usually offensive to the company from the fetid smell that accompanies it, and then of course he goes on and on, but I, I can't wait to, to get your take on this particular issue. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Michael, I, I will expect to see your face on a $100 bill at some point in time in the future. But I want to talk about a more, more impressing issue today, and that is I'm a lawyer. Am I a citizen of America? You sent me this email. Unpack what this issue is about.
1: Yeah, so I came across this while doing some research for um another article that I wrote about the sovereign citizen movement. Okay. I don't know if you're very familiar with that. I've, I've heard encounter- about it.
0: You people stop yeah, and I, you say, I first hey.
1: encountered them when I was a prosecutor okay. back in Illinois. And uh, it's it's this weird kooky movement, and it's much bigger than I ever dreamt at that time, of people who who look at this, um, they look at uh, basically everything except the Constitution and actual law as being authoritative, they look at Black's Law Dictionary, having okay. superior language to any statute. Um, they still point to the Articles of Confederation, and they they use all these obscure things in order to explain away why they don't have to be held accountable. So right. the, the way I first encountered them was, um, a fellow coming into my courtroom for for traffic court, and he claimed that. Uh, we all lacked jurisdiction over him because the American flag had gold fringe on it, which meant that we were subject to admiralty law, not um, not uh, any other kind of law. And since we weren't out on the ocean, then he didn't have to listen to us. Yeah, so she... that just gives you kind of an idea of the the mindset here. You, you
0: definitely but get out side... of that.
1: Go on. Out of that came this uh, whole thing about uh, 13 verse is uh, is what this one is called.
0: OK, what is this
1: in reference to the um, supposed uh, 13th Amendment to the Constitution that everybody has forgotten about?
0: No, well, what do you mean 13th? There is a 13th Amendment dealing with slavery, but yes. you're saying there's another 13th Amendment, almost like another 13th floor on, at a hotel. Uh, what is this other amendment? How, how did it come to be?
1: So to uh, to understand this, you've got to go back, I guess, to the right around the beginning of the 19th century. Remember, the United States is basically uh, 25 years old. The okay. Constitution is just um, what less than 15 years old. All right, uh, we're brand new as a country, and um, not exactly feeling secure about our place in the world. Right, and it's at this time that um, uh, let's see, it was uh, Napoleon Bonaparte's uh, brother married a woman from Baltimore. Okay. And they had a child, Jerome Bonaparte, who automatically got U.S. citizenship because his mother was a U.S. citizen. All right. But he was also subject to possibly to getting some sort of title of aristocracy from France. Right, it makes sense. So the people of the day... Said, okay, we've got a real problem here. What if somebody like a Napoleon were to come over here, a U.S. citizen, and he's already, and then he also claims uh, some sort of noble title? He could easily turn this into the monarchy that we just overturned. Right. So, they wanted to take uh, the titles of nobility clause from Article One, Section Nine of the Constitution. And make
0: it stronger now. Can I pause um, right there because I, I read yeah. that I don't know what a title of nobility is now. I know that over there, my I'm a history major, so I should know this, but I don't. I know that there were title. there, there was a no, noble class, a nobility class in England, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different people. I mean, you know, the, I think they own land, and so that was kind of a distinction. What does title of nobility mean? Does it mean like you're Prince Charles, uh, or does it mean that you are just a, a rich person that owns land?
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's going to differ from country to country. Uh, we typically understand it as it comes out of the British system, which would be the the, the peer system. At the highest level is the monarch. And then okay. you've got princes and dukes, um, right. earls, m- m- um, marquises, uh, all those things counts and so forth those are all titles of nobility and it's basically a a a legalized class system
0: right i got got you all the way from the top from monarchy all the way down to the bottom these people would have a a title given to them and so they are part of the nobility class all right i got so we're worried about napoleon brother's uh son um coming over here and, and becoming some kind of monarchy uh and that's so how did the 13th amendment how does that deal with that
1: so uh the way that the constitution already addresses this is uh it in article one section nine it says that no title of nobility is to be granted by the united states and no no person in the united states is supposed to accept a title of any kind uh from any foreign power without the consent of the congress the proposed 13th amendment which um is also known as the Titles of Nobility Amendment. Okay. Um, that took it a step further and said that if anyone actually accepted a title of nobility, that they would revoke their citizenship and they would forfeit the right to hold any position of uh, profit or or power within the United States.
0: Interesting. Okay. So revoke revokes your citizenship if you receive... If you or if you have some kind of noble title from a foreign uh, entity, whether it be a king or a prince or a foreign government, whatever, if it's a foreign entity bestowing upon you that 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 nobility class or title, then you're stripped of of citizenship.
1: That's right. All right. So Very nearly passed. Um, it, It passed both houses of Congress in 1810. And it went from there to the states for ratification, and it came within um, two states of being ratified. Um, now, look, back when there were back when there were fourteen states in the union.
0: Because so let's analyze this. I believe for a a, a amend, the Constitution to be amended, it has to be ratified by is it three fourths of the states? Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's okay. So three-fourths. And at this time, you had an increased number of states. I mean, we started with 13. We're at 50. Here's the legal issue that I am not sure of. At what point in time is the number relevant? Let's say that this constitutional amendment was introduced. And at that time, you had 13 uh, states. Well, I think three-fourths of that might be nine. You would need nine of the 13. So that's, that's the number when it's introduced. By the time you get nine votes, now there's, let's just say, 15 states. Do you base it upon when the bill starts being passed around and voted on, or do you wait until the very end when you actually have the, the right number of votes?
1: Well, the way it's always been interpreted has been uh, at the end. Okay. So in in this case, um, at at the time that it was passed by both houses of Congress and submitted to the um, to the several states uh, it it got uh, twelve states to adopt it but then in the meantime Louisiana gets admitted to the union ah. as the 18th state that increased the ratification threshold to 14 okay um, and um, and it was it was when New Hampshire adopted or ratified uh, the titles of mobility amendment that brought it up to having ratified it and the threshold is 14 but so, no other states have taken action on this since 1812 and um so now there's 50 states in the union
0: okay right.
1: so the amendment would need an additional 26 states okay there's so it's probably dead in the water right now be, right. right right, although it's it technically isn't um if you, you, you'll remember um Sometime in the 20th century, constitutional amendments started having sunset provisions on them, right. uh, such as the Equal Rights Amendment, so right. that if it's not ratified by such and such a date, then it's null and void. This one didn't have a sunset provision, just like the the most recently um, ratified constitutional amendment did not. It was one of the original ones submitted at the time of the Bill of Rights, and it was only within the past, uh, what, t- 20 years or so that it finally hit the, um, the magic force of states to ratify it it took 200 years but they
0: did it so this was it just called 13th amendment number 1 uh, mm-hmm. There's two Thirteenth two 13th amendments but this one it got really close if i heard you right it got to within one vote of being the law of, of the land uh, and so it, now, it got
1: within two, two had, there were 12 states that that ratified it and at uh, um uh and it would have taken 14.
0: Okay. I gotcha. So, um, but my understanding was based upon reading your blog, that it was so close that a lot of people just assumed it was going to be the, it was going to be, it was going to pass. It was going to become the law of the land such Mm -hmm. that when the law books were printed, they actually included that 13th amendment in the law books. Is that not right?
1: That's right. There was an 1815, uh, publication uh, under a government contract. It was a five-volume set, The Laws of the United States, and they included the Titles of Nobility Amendment as Article 13 to okay. the Constitution. There there was nothing on that page to explain that it hadn't yet been ratified, okay. but 76 pages earlier in the introduction to the volume, the the editors noted that it's They've had difficulty determining whether it's actually been ratified or not, and so they're concluding it. They're, they're including it in here, however, letting people know that um, we're just not entirely sure where it stands at this point.
0: Wow, because you know, well, that that, that concerns me because I'm assuming you are like me that when we read a certain law in a in a law book we don't then cross-check the introduction to find out if that's still good law or they got the necessary votes. We're assuming if it's in there, uh, that it at least had been passed at some point in time. It's interesting because I wonder if at when they did that, they realized the, the um, conspiracy theories that would be born uh, from that decision. I, I hear it's even worse than that, right? Because later on, they made pocket constitutions, if you will, or at least a reduced version that did not have that introductory uh, section in it that explained it hadn't been passed yet? Yeah, in
1: 1817, two years after that five-volume set was printed, there was a special pocket-sized edition of the Constitution printed up specifically for members of Congress, (laughs) and uh, it included this 13th Amendment, the Titles of Nobility Amendment, without any type of footnote or disclaimer or anything like that. And this was a surprise to um, many members of Congress. So they sent a request over to President James Monroe to find out what the status of this thing was. He enlisted uh, then-Secretary of State John Quincy Adams, and told him, look into this, find out what's going on. Now, that's right, something that today you would think something as important as the Constitution would be an easy place to check. But it wasn't that way back in 1818. So John Quincy Adams had to check around all, to all the different states. And finally, he he issued a report to the president saying that, um, that he'd looked into it, and there was an insufficient number of states to ratify it, and it had it was not part of the Constitution. And that's what was communicated to Congress.
0: Interesting. Now, I, And I also remember from your blog that it was about 1860, around the Civil War era, there was also some other documents, books, uh, law books, that contained the 13th Amendment without any kind of clarifying language. So you mm-hmm. can see why some people uh, are saying with a straight face... Hey, look, there, there was this 13th Amendment. Look, it's actually in the law books, and it's not like today where you have all kinds of press releases and you know um, all the kind of written history we have today. Back then, you have actual written books that says it's, it's part of our Constitution. It's part of the law. So mm-hmm. I can see why some people at least hold on to that. That's not the craziest thing I've, I've heard. But yet you also point out some reasons why, no, this is um, the 13th Amendment was never actually passed and ratified. Uh, Explain some of your, uh, I think, better arguments why we know that the 13th Amendment did not get the necessary votes.
1: Well, first of all, we should say that from 1818 on until the 1980s, nobody seriously thought that This had been ratified uh, because when uh, there was uh, prior to the 13th Amendment that we now recognize as the 13th Amendment, um, there was another one that was introduced. It failed to pass, but it was entitled "Proposed 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States." So they they clearly did not think that uh, there was um, that the title of nobility amendment had been enacted, Um, and nobody acted as if it was. Um, This is. Remember, we're talking about titles of nobility, and um, uh, this, which, which we'll get into a bit about how that does or does not apply to attorneys.
0: That is but- the big question I'm dying to get to. But, yeah, we're just kind of <laughs> holding that off onto the side for a minute. How is it going to apply to strip my citizenship away? i got to move to, to Bur- I don't know, Bermuda, somewhere like that. But, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs>
1: But uh, Congress in those days—I mean, this is in the days prior to used car dealers—so their only other profession to reach out to for politicians is lawyers. So that's who Congress is primarily made up of, and uh, they're the ones who—they're the ones who have been handling all of this legislation. So um, when we get to this part here about how it affects the. citizenship or lack thereof of attorneys, that's an important thing to remember.
0: Well, let's get there right now. So uh, you teased this whole topic to me with, hey, what about this 13th Amendment that stripped citizenship away from all attorneys? And uh, thank goodness this was never put to vote by the American public, because I'm thinking, yeah, why not? If we can get rid of lawyers and finally fulfill what Shakespeare asked us to do, uh, when was that? Henry the Sixth. First thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. Well, I, I I don't want to actually put that to the test, right, and see whether or not they would <laughs> want to do that. But, uh, yeah, dr- connect the dots there for us. Uh, how does this relate to lawyers not being citizens?
1: Well, I will try to connect the dots. But in order to fully connect the dots, you kind of have to suspend disbelief. Uh, you, You have to enter into a sort of a – um, a fantasy world, um, or skip over some of these connecting points. But I'm going to try my best <laughs> okay. to um, to get you there. In 1983, there was a fellow named David Dodge who was doing some research, and he stumbled across one of these copies of the Constitution that had titles of nobility amendment okay. identified as an enacted 13th Amendment, and he said, Ah. Obviously this means that it was once part of the Constitution right but since we don't see it in the Constitution now there must be a conspiracy ah. somebody must be trying to make us forget that it ever happened um, and so he, so he threw that out there and that got into the hands of some of these sovereign citizens and uh, as I noted in my article when you give conspiracy, theories and obscure legal documents to um, to sovereign citizens it is like giving whiskey and car keys to a teenage boy <laughs> they uh, just go nuts with it right. and so here's where the here's where the conspiracy is first of all they claim that the amendment actually was ratified and the state that put it over the top they claim was virginia okay um before Louisiana was admitted to the Union, and it and it took 13 states to ratify. Um, they claimed that Virginia was the 13th state okay. to ratify it. Um, now, in point of fact, Virginia did uh, take up the matter, and their records show that they specifically voted not to ratify the Titles of Nobility Amendment. All right. However. Um, Records, the way that they were kept in those days, are not as precise as now. And the governor of Virginia, um, some time later, went back and tried to look for the specific document that rejected titles of nobility amendment. Okay. Couldn't find it. Ah.
0: Um,
1: he couldn't find anything that said that it was adopted, but he couldn't find anything that says that it was rejected. However, um, the, uh, the theory is the conspiracy theory is that the the document disappeared to cover up the fact that Virginia actually ratified it. And it actually did become part of the constitution.
0: I can see how conspiracy theorists would go that way. And it seems convenient for them.
1: So let's assume then that titles of nobility amendment is part of the constitution. All right. um, you of course, remember Joel, when you were, um, admitted to the bar that you took an oath pledging uh, loyalty to Her Majesty the Queen and um, to Always honor her. You, you remember that, don't you?
0: Man, it's been so long ago. You know, there's a lot of people there, and I, I, I think yeah. I would have remembered uh, something like that, though. I, that might have. She
1: didn't. She didn't personally attend your swearing-in ceremony and knight you or anything like that. I might be confusing that
0: with the whole Nikki Gun, where you know uh,
1: Lieutenant,
0: uh, Lieutenant Drebin um, tackled the Queen yes. there on the wedding cake table. But um, no, I, yeah. I, I don't remember that.
1: Well. The, the sovereign citizens, the 13thers, they remember this a lot better than any of, of us attorneys do because, according to them, um, if, if you are an attorney, you're entitled to use esquire after your name. Okay. And esquire, that's a title of nobility conferred by a monarch. Ah. And, and on top of that, the only organization that certified lawyers was the International Bar Association, which was chartered by the King of England. And bar, uh, like being a member of the bar, bar is actually an acronym, acronym that stands for uh, British Attorney Registration.
0: Okay, all right.
1: <laughs> so all of those things put together mean that any of us who are attorneys, obviously, we have accepted a title of nobility, title of nobility conferred upon us by a. a a foreign power. So we uh, lose our citizenship and any who are employed as, uh, as especially as federal judges or federal prosecutors um, have to forfeit their positions and their pay.
0: Wow. You know, you know, uh, Mike, like I tell you, I have a big smile on my face right now because I think I'm, I am receiving this story a little bit different than what you, maybe you are intending, but I am receiving this as, I'm part of the nobility class. I mean, I am, I, maybe I've been lying to become king of England if certain things happen. I don't know. But yeah, I, I put Esquire by my name twice, I think, in my career. So I sure I'm a, I'm a noble person. I, I, I have no idea what this means for me now. Um, but surely it's got to mean something. Do you think uh, Prince Charles will let me come over and, and, you know, I hear this room now at, at the, um, uh, the, what do you call the place where they all live over there in England? I forget the name of the, uh, Queen's Castle, it, it escapes me right now. Oh, Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I hear that there's a, a, a vacant room now since someone, you know, married an American citizen and then moved out of there. <laughs> oh, Prince Harry moved out, so I can take over his digs. But uh, interesting. Now, do you use Esquire by your name?
1: Uh, I do not, and I'm, I'm i actually probably going to write an article about this at some point. I, I've i got all the research done about why it is that we don't use doctor, the title doctor. Why not? Um, well, it, it kind of goes back to the whole prohibition against um, advertising. Oh, ah, okay. Um, and that uh, even if you do advertise, you weren't supposed to do it in any sort of a grandiose way.
0: Okay. And um,
1: so that's, that's right at the time that the— um, uh, that the JD degree was becoming popular, and right, so it just right. kind of went along with it. But well, I... um, And as I understand it, with Esquire, um, it, it's considered gauche, tacky.
0: Right, right, to right.
1: affix it after your own name. Right, okay. But if I'm writing to you, and and I want to put Esquire after your name. That's absolutely acceptable.
0: Ah, okay.
1: But we probably have to check with Her Majesty, since she's the one who conferred those titles on us.
0: I'll next time I see her, I'll, I'll check with her uh, to, to find. My goodness, she is um, an amazing woman. I mean, has she not in your lifetime always looked the exact same? And yet she's still going strong. I just uh, she has to be a medical marvel. I have no idea how she she does. I did it.
1: I did an article. Uh, month or two ago, I think, about some conspiracy theories related to the Queen. And there's actually a huge movement out there that believes that she is immortal. Um, I would there's buy also that. a movement that believes that she's an, uh, a lizard person. Um, <laughs> okay, that and I would there's, buy. there's actually a religion that's uh, based upon worshiping uh, uh, Prince Philip. Uh, so there's uh, some interesting stuff. Well,
0: you know, I don't understand the entire dynamic of what it means to be a king today. I mean, all I know is from the history books, I'm not sure when it actually changed. You know, when the king went from this is someone to be feared to right now, the monarchy is ah, kind of, you know, the Subject for uh, you know uh, tabloid news and things like that and paparazzi, but um, do think you think
1: it's up
0: supermarkets? Right, yeah. Do, do you think there's any kind of animosity there in that family between Prince Charles and the Queen? Is like, come on, Queen, uh, how's your health doing? I, I'm kind of old myself. I want to be king at some point in time. I mean, why won't she let Prince Charles be king? I, I don't get that, but.
1: Hey, you know. Well, it. it is a creepy setup how would you like it if you're you're raising your kids for a particular job that they can only do once you're dead. <laughs> right. Um
0: I don't <laughs> get that aspect of it. <laughs> and then Prince Harry comes over to the United States. Really you're you're going to live in the United States as a prince of of England and what that means. I that that uh, whole area just amazed me as a history major to find out or do you analyze, why do we even care? But nonetheless, I got to tell you, your story is, a, is an amazing story. Uh, lawyers, we are the, the no, nobility class. And uh, whether or not we are citizens or not... So here's the bottom line, Michael. Do I have to pay taxes? Well... That's what I want to know. If I'm no longer a citizen, I want my money back. That's all I'm suggesting, but...
1: there's I wasn't able to find anything specifically on that issue, however... There was um, a case that I cited, uh, Campion versus Towns, in 2005, where a tax protester uh, raised the Titles of Nobility Amendment argument. Not, and the reason that that he was arguing this was not that he was exempt from taxes because he was an attorney. He was arguing that he was exempt from taxes because the tax court uh, lacked the authority to impose the. Um, uh, any type of taxes upon him because tax court consisted of an
0: attorney. Wow. Well, Michael, you never fail to amuse me. I love your stories. Keep them coming. And I cannot wait till you write the blog on whether or not I can use doctor and be some kind of pretentious, uh, you know, person. Um, I I don't know. My general rule of thumb is with doctor. If you are in a, um, Uh, let's say you're in a theater, right? And someone yells, is there a doctor in the house? And you're a lawyer, you better not speak up because you are not needed in that situation. They're wanting a medical doctor. But that's just my take on it. I could be way off base there with that. Uh, One
1: of my boys, when he was probably five or six, somebody, we were somewhere and somebody said, is there a doctor around here? And and one of my boys said, well, my dad's a doctor, but he's not the kind that helps anybody with anything.
0: (laughs) Ouch. That does Heard so. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today. I know you have a busy schedule, and I always appreciate your time as always. And let's do lunch sometime soon.
1: Look forward to it.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess, Sean Wynn and 15Five Features for making me sound way better than I actually do, Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us, and Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support.